we have this incredible gift as uh, filmmakers. And if we have any care in the world for the community around us, you know, technically we can get involved in just about every social issue or every issue facing people. It's Andy here and welcome to another edition of Video Talks where we talk to creators, commissioners and everyone in between about the business of video. Uh, we have an expanding collection of interviews now uh, with experts in their field. There are great tips on how to be a better filmmaker or videographer, how businesses and brands can use video more effectively and also insights into the practices of those creators and how they work. Also, if you're just getting started with video, there's a ton of content which can help you on your journey, the best gear for beginners, strategies to help your business, valuable information all through every episode. So just check out the titles for a, a general feel. If you're here for the first time, please hit subscribe so we can keep those episodes coming into your feed. Uh, you can connect with us on Instagram um, at Video Talks Podcast or andy.greenhouse. And for all the show notes, for the links, for the things that are mentioned, for the videos that are mentioned, you can go to videotalks.co where all those episodes will be there for you. Okay, let's crack on and get into this week's episode, which is an interview with James Lee, who is a director, filmmaker and photographer based in Richmond, Virginia in the States. He runs a company called Journey 7, which is a creative video and photography company. Um, and in this interview, we talk about his journey from being a wedding photographer for many years and how he found documentary kind of filmmaking. We talk about balancing budgets with nonprofits, why it's important to listen to people when you're interviewing them, the best ways to manage your workload, and why documentary storytelling is a little bit like detective work. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with James Lee from VT. Okay, so hi and welcome to Video Talks. Um, I'm really excited to introduce my guest today, James Lee. James is a director and photographer based in Richmond, Virginia. He runs Journey 7, which is a creative video and photography company. At the age of 19, James knew that being an entrepreneur was the only way he could pursue his dreams. So for the past 14 years, James has experienced successes and failures and the challenges of running a business day to day. He knows how important it is for other businesses and organizations to have reliable partners to collaborate with, especially in the creative field. His values include thoughtful communication, responsibility, guidance, and the continual improvement of both character and craft. He's recently been working really hard during lockdown on a series of COVID-related films for the community at large. So James, uh, so excited to have you on the on Video Talks podcast. It's brilliant to chat with you. You as well. I appreciate you having me. It's an absolute pleasure. 
Um, so I guess let's kick, let's kick off. Um, I've given our audience a little bit of an overview of your background. So could you fill in the gaps and tell us a bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I run a company called Journey7, as you mentioned, and uh, the work that we do that we get paid for is a lot of corporate videos as well as uh, short documentaries, uh, and those can be for both corporate or nonprofit organizations. We actually work with uh, quite a bit of nonprofits mostly, uh, so those could be anywhere from like hospital and healthcare systems to uh, schools, uh, you name it. We probably worked with them. Uh, the origin of the name Journey 7 actually comes from at the time when I created that name, the past seven years of my life's journey, uh, going from a struggling young mid 20s entrepreneur uh, who was really just after, you know, money and women and fame and you know, material possessions, a lot of the things that I think many people could probably relate to seeing that as sort of an entrepreneurial lifestyle, I guess, or just a lifestyle to abide by and to really uh, maturing as an adult and thinking through, you know, what do I want my life to really be like? And uh, completely taking a 180 and just seeing that as, you know, seven years of a life's journey uh, to get to where I uh, uh, am today. Um, and that I believe was now about eight or nine years ago. Uh, but my background began as a photographer. I was just uh, one of those people who around 17 up until about 22 years old, I just remember carrying a camera all the time and uh, spent several years working as a portrait and wedding photographer uh, here in Virginia. I'm married to my wife, Abigail. Uh, we actually just got married back in March. So uh, here in the States, that's right around when the shutdowns began. So we couldn't have a uh, full wedding celebration or anything like that, but we still went ahead and got married. So we only know, I jokingly say, we only know life, uh, married life in the uh, midst of a pandemic. Uh, so we don't know what normal married life looks like. Uh, my wife, Abby, and I have two adopted teenagers, um, and we're just doing life together here in Virginia. Amazing. Well, congratulations on recently getting married. So, James, you've been really busy during lockdown. Can you tell me about a bit about your COVID series of films? Sure. So, um, to give a little short background, uh, I think it was around March earlier this year where uh, right as soon as um, – actually, we were uh, in a part of Virginia called Exmoor – uh, which is the eastern shore of Virginia. And we're doing this uh, uh, fire department video shoot uh, for two days. And that was the last shoot we did uh, for paid project work uh, for two months. Uh, so from March till about uh, what, April, May, uh, we didn't have a lot of new work coming in because everybody went on shutdown. Um, and so we use that time, you know, I'd always joke that we, uh, or I personally needed, uh, to take a break and kind of pause and have life sort of quiet down. I just didn't think it would come in this form, um, of a pandemic. So we, uh, spent that time as a team. There's, uh, myself and two others on my team here at journey seven. 
thinking through, uh, well, first giving ourselves a little bit of a break, right? Because we had been going nonstop day after day, working um, our tails off. And I think that we really needed that break to kind of sit back and consider, well, what do we really uh, desire to do at the end of the day? Even if it wasn't paid work, what would we do? Um, and all of us have a passion to respond to the times on some of the most pressing needs. And the chatter here in uh, Richmond, Virginia, where I live, was uh, uh, largely um, circling around um, businesses like restaurants, you know, those businesses that really rely on every single day uh, needing to turn around a profit just to be able to not only pay their employees and keep them on staff, but also uh, in the restaurant industry, you have a lot of uh, uh vendors, you know, con these business connections and networks that are made uh, from every single restaurant uh, to, to keep its supply chain uh, in order. And so um, we decided, well, that that should be the first place that we uh, respond to um, using our gifts and talents, right? And uh, through that, we were able to pull together about eight or nine different restaurant owners uh, here in Richmond uh, we went to each of their locations and just sort of filmed outside. But then we also made the decision to film many, many other local restaurants here in Richmond um, and pull that together into about an eight uh, or nine minute um, short documentary about how restaurants are dealing with um, this COVID-19 crisis. And it was largely very positive. You know, I think that the reality is for every single one of those restaurant owners and their uh, staff, they really uh, were going through a tough time for sure. Uh, but the way in which these restaurant owners uh, decided to respond, I think I can summarize that by saying they weren't going to go down without a fight. Uh, and I found that to be very positive, intriguing. Um, and as soon as I, uh, uh, we were done with that video and posted it online, it got a lot of traction around here, which then, uh, you know, I don't know what the quantitative response that was, but it, I'm sure it led to a, a lot of people, um, uh, and paid new patrons, uh, responding to that video and saying, Hey, we're, well, you know what, we're going to order takeout. And, uh, so those other films include, um, the, the pet adoption and fostering video. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's funny because every week that goes by in this uh, pandemic feels like a year. So I'd start to <laughs> uh, lose a few memories on what we've worked on because it's been so much, but yeah, pet adoptions was another one. And that was certainly a very fun one where we could make more of a feel good video. Um, Cause who doesn't love looking at a, a furry friend? <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, so uh, what's your uh, usual production process and how did that change in the last few months? I mean, obviously there's some user-generated content on, on I notice definitely on the pet video and some on the restaurant video, right? Um, how's that kind of, the, what are the sort of challenges, but maybe advantages too of using user-generated content? Yeah, I think that um, that that's a great question, and I'm sure there's there's many ways to answer that. But something that comes to mind is I think that all of us as creative storytellers who are using uh, some form of uh, visual to tell their story would really love to have full creative control, and that's something that we got by doing this pro bono you know uh, work during COVID nineteen. 
um, is to really just take the reins on what that um, video needs to look like uh, from our view, uh, but also be um, uh, uh, also try to honor the folks that we're interviewing and, and the stories that we're telling. The creative storytelling process for me um, used to be for years uh, in my documentary work. It was about capturing a story as it unfolds, because that's naturally what I think happens uh, when you're when you're documenting people and interviewing people. But lately, I think that it's been more uh, about a, a character or characters that I'm interested in. So whether that's in uh, narrative work or documentary work, I'm really interested in seeing uh, where where the growth of a character is. So rather than just telling a story that could be perhaps a sob story, right? Um, you know, something, uh, some struggle that someone was going through or the, uh, uh, the struggles that people are facing that a nonprofit is responding to. Um, I also want to see where's that arc of this character or characters that I'm um, uh, filming and seeing them uh, grow uh, in that process. So I don't want to just leave it at, Hey, respond to this bad thing happening. A part of that process, especially for documentary style work, I think is to, um, be like a detective and search for the clues to kind of form the conclusion that you come up with. But I also am just genuinely interested in what these people's stories are. And so I don't want to know everything about them or everything about what they do. I want to kind of discover that as part of my filming process. Oh, that's a great insight. Um, so James, this podcast is called Video Talks. Could you give our audience a bit of an insight on how moving image is working for you and your business? Yeah, uh, I'm thinking about um, sort of some pivotal moments in life. One of the funnier ones is when I was, I remember being in uh, third grade in elementary school and uh, watching Ace Ventura and thinking Jim Carrey is the funniest actor and I want to be just like him when I grow up. <laughs> and uh, and I, 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 that's one of the first memories I can think of where I would sort of, uh, quote unquote, obsess about an idea or a person or a story or a, or a film or something like that and want to research everything about it, you know, and, and really just be that detective that's looking for all the different clues. Um, but I was yearning to learn like this, 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 what makes that story or those visuals so sophisticated, right? So I love a good sophisticated look in film. Um, there was a, a, there's a memory of being in a drama class in middle school. Uh, so this is sixth grade through eighth grade. And while I never saw myself as an actor, cause I didn't have the, uh, confidence to be on stage and try to act in front of all these different people. Um, I remember making a script just on my own, just, you know, it wasn't even a homework assignment, but I figured for, a particular project we were working on, I wanted to make a script. And the, the teacher um, really pointed that out as something worth praising. When I look back, I realized she, she saw a young student taking initiative to create something. It might not have been a good script, but just the fact that I had outlined characters and outlined different scenes, things like that. I think that she was very impressed by that. And I think that as any of us look back um, at all of our different life experiences, there's this 
grand, there's just sort of this weaving of different life experiences that are shaping us for who we are today and, and tomorrow and so forth. Just practically speaking, um, I, I'd been running a growing and successful wedding business for, gosh, uh, I was in that industry for probably 13 years. Um, and for eight of those years, I was doing it full time. Um, as anybody knows who's ever started a business, it's always a risk, right? There's a risk in making that decision and relying perhaps fully on that income and that lifestyle. Uh, but I've been very blessed to have eight years full time in that business. And I just remember starting off this one uh, season where I got to my first two weddings and I thought, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like I don't have the drive that I once did. And at the same time, I was building up even more passion to finally pursue film work, you know, in whatever way that looks like, I don't know, but I just need to start somewhere. Uh, and every business starts small, right? So I just decided like, well, I'll do whatever work gets, gets me paid so that I can actually do this full time. So I went from a six figure wedding business to a startup uh, video business that had no reputation for doing video work. And somehow it's working out okay. Even through COVID-19, um, it's been working out okay. One of my humble opinions is that if you can handle weddings uh, as a, I, I mean, generally in as a videographer, as a wedding videographer, and I guess photographer, you're you're already in those kind of high pressure situations where you've got to get it in one take. And I think that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good training ground, isn't it, for capturing documentary moments and Absolutely. quickly setting up the frame and setting up the shot. So on that journey, what were the kind of what were the biggest sort of hurdles you had to get over from like you know from having a successful business to kind of going i'm going to start something new without clients without i guess without that knowledge that you were going to be successful but obviously the faith in yourself um for taking that risk what yeah. what kind of things did you face along the way yeah i think that failures is a big part of why i am the person i am today um i think that I guess as long as we can admit and learn from our failures through the hard work of personal vulnerability and being honest with ourselves, um, we can do the hard work of growing uh, from those uh, experiences. It's really the failures that I think that deal with other people um, that are the ones that uh, I tend to focus on the most. Um, I remember in a previous business, um, my method of communication, you know, so like, I'm just, uh, I'm used to talking with, uh, in, in a way to other people where it's just like, we need to go, go, go. <laughs> and so I came across in my tone of voice as very demanding, let's say. And someone on my team pointed that out to me, but, but they were so kind to say, I know that that's not who you are, which I appreciated, right? Like my actions didn't speak to my identity, right? They, they knew that I uh, was better than that, but they pointed that out uh, just as a way of, you know, when you're communicating the, the tone of voice uh, in which you speak out of um, could be improved. And I really took that to heart and thought through, okay, what, what does that mean? Um, how do I, how do I 
you know, I thought I was a good person. How do I make myself uh, better for, for others? And uh, I think through listening to that team member and starting to use my words more cautiously, right? And my tone of voice more cautiously was um, something that I could overcome and become better at. Then there's also other uh, failures in communications I've had with team members in the past where uh, I have to be better about communicating sort of realistic expectations, uh, recognize the needs of my team members, uh, see that if there's any way I can meet those needs, I will try to do my best to do so. Would you say you have kind of changed a lot of things that you do in business? I think uh, to, to speak to what you were just saying, um, listening is not something that I guess guys are known for. <laughs> um, I uh, I have a faith background and just a group of guys that uh, I used to meet with every single Saturday morning uh, for about probably five to six months straight. Like we were actively meeting together. One of the one of the guys, in the, like we barely knew each other, by the way, at the time, right? But we decided, hey, we'll try to form a friendship if we can. So we would get together Saturday mornings, cook breakfast, which was delicious, right? All the syrup and all the bacon that you could possibly want. Um, almost like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, we would allow every person to speak as uh as much or as little as they wanted to about what they're going through in life. But the job of everybody else was to listen, which means they can't give advice. They can't ask questions uh, because we kind of made it a rule. Like you can't fix my problems in life, but you can walk alongside me in them. And for the first month, that was extremely awkward (laughs) because we're all looking at each other like we can't, ask. We can't pry. We can't give advice. Like there's, you know, I've been through that same scenario. I could tell them what to do, but that really formed, uh, the ability for me to, to listen better. But after many, many interviews that I've conducted, uh, for, for documentary work, you know, some of those people are just regular folks who've probably never been on video before, but some of those are, you know, doctors, right. Who've been on many video productions where they've had to talk about, you know, what it is that they do. And we'll often get this compliment where they'll say, you know, that was the best interview I've ever been a part of. And, and they thank me for that. And I just say, I mean, the first few times I heard that, I thought that that was so weird because I didn't think there was anything different that I was doing, but it might've actually been about the listening aspect. It wasn't about rapidly firing off questions or seeming, you know, acting like I was interested, right? But just genuinely just sitting there and just trying to let the person tell their story. If you were analyzing it as a formula, I know that's every every documentary is completely different and totally different subject matter. But are there certain things you look for um, when you're when you're shooting or maybe pre production or perhaps in editing process? I think so. I think that there's some things that stay and remain consistent, but I think that there are some things that, as you mentioned, uh, uh, change um, based on what's needed for the project, right? Um, So the things that usually change are obviously the subject matter 
uh, really will dictate um, the sort of mood um, and the uh, method in which we will communicate with the people we're working with. You know, if it's a very heavy subject, like, you know, a lot of the protests that are going on in our country right now, um, we're going to approach that very professionally, but also very cautiously. We're not going to approach it acting like we know something, right? We're going to approach it with more questions and more of an honest, um, not even a dialogue yet, but more of a um, honest yearning to want to understand and then go in with those characteristics, right? And that tone of voice that speaks um, to that. But if it's something like pet adoptions, we're going to be super playful and we're going to be silly with it and just have a lot of fun and laughs with that, you know? And I think that that, based on what that subject matter is, it can sort of drive the tone in which we communicate with the people that are a part of those projects. So from, you know, a technical standpoint, you know, we're we have a lot of equipment in-house. If we need to rent certain gear, we certainly will based on whatever the project needs. Um, but we we do try to use the resources we already have, for, especially for documentary work. Um, one of the things that has practically been super useful for us is um, using uh, transcription software. Because uh, you're going to have hours and hours and hours of interviews, and I'm never going to scrub through footage and try to pull out the best sound bites because I will I will fall asleep after the first ten minutes <laughs> trying to do that. So using transcription software, um, I think that Rev.com has been a really good one. Uh, not really plugging them. I mean, we literally have paid thousands of dollars to Rev.com just to. Um, help that uh, process be a lot more efficient um, when it comes to uh, pulling together that story uh, for a documentary and wanting to see like what those sound bites are. When we're doing interviews, especially through um, Zoom because of COVID-19 and not being able to get together with every single person in, uh, in person, uh, Zoom gives me the opportunity to take notes a lot more effectively. So um, literally, I'm, I'm sort of time stamping and taking notes as I'm doing an interview, but that taking notes, you know, really allows me to actually listen more effectively, right? Because I'm concentrating on what this person's saying. Um, so those two things coupled together really helped me to sort of uh, engage the project on a deeper level and, uh, find what story it is that I'm supposed to be sharing here. Um, and I think that in our editing process, you know, at a certain point, you know, we have a fantastic editor on staff and he really takes, um, uh, you know, hours and hours of footage and the rough cut can end up being 30 minutes when it's supposed to be a seven or five or seven minute deliverable video. But the fact that he had already, you know, within an hour or two time, cut it down to that 30 minutes. And then from there, we just continue to cut down more, uh, certainly really helps. So, uh, and the, the tip about transcription software is a really good one, actually. Yeah. Um, we've done that in the past with my own company and it's really helped, especially from a client point of view, because you know, that a client is going to want specific things in, in an interview or whatever. So yes. that's a really good tip actually. Um, but yeah, I guess it gets expensive if you're, if you're pushing all the rushes through there as well. Yeah. I mean, um, it is right. Uh, I think that on average, 
for most videos where we're interviewing three to five people, uh, you're going to spend um, 150 US dollars. Um, and it's certainly a lot of money. So you have to, for us, we have to obviously consider that because we know it's a, a valuable and necessary tool for our workflow and efficiency. Um, just in the same way that it's obviously a necessity to have cameras on production for us. And at this point, it's a necessity to have transcription uh, after the production parts over. Um, talking of film gear, what's your kind of go to, what's your sort of go to run and gun? We've got to shoot this thing. And then what's your favored, you know, a little bit of bigger production uh, yeah. kit that you take out? I guess for uh, production, uh, we had been using Sony for a while because um, as I built this team together, it seemed that Sony and Canon uh, were the most common brands that we all shared. Um, more recently, we've pivoted towards uh, Blackmagic Design. Um, I guess we could have gone a number of routes. We could have stayed with the same brands, uh, but we really uh, were very interested in something that can produce ProRes or RAW file straight out of the camera. Um, and there's something nice about their uh, uh, pocket cinema camera lineup where you can hook up an SSD drive straight to a camera and then take that SSD drive straight to your laptop, you know, without even the need to transfer any files. I found that to be a, a huge time saver in our workflow. And the fact that we're now working with SSDs and that our uh, Mac computers have Thunderbolt 3 and USB-C inputs and outputs, I mean, that anything that we can do to just save a little bit of time is going to really help us out. And I'm, I'm all about workflow efficiency. But then with the Blackmagic Design cameras, I was just stunned by the look. You know, I, I did a lot of blind tests where I looked at um, cameras that we could actually afford because we don't have $50,000 to drop on a red right now. So after doing a bunch of blind tests, it seemed that Blackmagic was the winner there. Um, I think that in anything I've ever done, whether it's photo or video, there is very rare moments where I've actually been fully satisfied by the look, you know, and I think that that's something that all creatives sort of struggle with, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah well if there wasn't the the constant struggle to get to the perfect shot then we would all stop wouldn't we and what's your kind of portable lighting setup like is it super slim uh i wish it was even slimmer i wish that we had the ability to just put up those um foldable led panels <laughs> on every single shoot um, but we don't have a bunch of those. What we do have is a mixture of very affordable LED lights um, and uh, some uh, even more expensive things. So we have on the affordable side of things, we use uh, several Godox LED lights um, so that we can quickly set those up on a stand and attach uh, a glow easy lock you know, diffuser to it. Uh, and just be ready to go, especially for when there are a lot of shoots that we're going to go on where we don't know what the room might look like. So let's say that's say doctor's office or some, you know, building we've never been to. Uh, we're not going to know what it looks like unless they shoot a picture because the location we're going to is two hours out of town. So we can't just go in location scout. Um, we want a setup that's very portable and easy to fit within any space. Um, 
we uh, will try to use um, quasar science LED tubes to match um, not only the uh, the white balance, but also uh, those things are so convenient with the magnets on the back to, to attach anywhere. Um, and for our more expensive setups, we uh, do have a couple of uh, airy lights um, that are tungsten and um, they are, uh, we also have a few Kino flow tubes. Uh, we used that on a test shoot yesterday for a lighting test. Uh, it's brilliant. Uh, can't recommend those brands uh, more. Cool. Well, there's some good uh, good recommendations. LED definitely has changed the game, hasn't it, with lighting? Yeah. So, James, when you're working with nonprofits, NGOs, organizations like that, there's not always the huge budgets or even the medium budgets that some brands may have. Um, how do you kind of balance and compromise the sort of production perhaps um, to align with those budgets, if that makes sense? No, that makes absolute sense. And I think that, I think the first thought that comes to mind for a lot of people when they hear uh, what you said was probably pricing, right? Like how do you, you have to first figure out how you're going to price yourself and how do you price for a project? And there are many different tools and methods that you can use to do that and coming up with rates, things like that. Um, they're based on whatever industry you're in, there's room for negotiation or there isn't. And what I mean by there isn't room for negotiation is that the people that you're talking with at a nonprofit probably aren't used to a negotiation process, right? So you might think that you're coming with a price that you can be flexible on, but that's the only price they're going to hear from you. Um, and they might not come back with, you know, a, a counter offer and things like that. Here's what I would say from my business perspective. If there is, uh, if you're coming in as just a videographer, anybody can shoot a video, technically speaking. It may not be able to shoot it well, but anybody can shoot a video because everybody has a smartphone. What you have to see your value, I think, is uh, in um, what makes you unique as a business. Um, what makes us unique as a business is our ability to listen well and to form those relationships out of a place of trust and professionalism um, so that the people who work with us know that when they're leaving the production or wrapping up on a project, they say, that was just a great experience. And so when I say, um, when I give a rate for a project, that's going to be different for every single project. It's never the exact same rate. Right. Um, and from that point, if they want to negotiate price, um, I will not budge significantly. I will budge to what I think is appropriate. Talking of how businesses, you know, can work with video, are there ways that you would advise businesses to look at using video effectively? Right out the gate, I would say one one video is not going to um, dramatically make your business so much more successful than it already is. Um, and so, when you're if you're just thinking, oh, you know what, we need video. The important question is why and how is that going to um, affect my bottom line? Because uh, we're all in business, right? And so we have to produce an income and we have to make our decisions based on smart business moves. So that being said, um, the 
your audience is not always interested in the in every video looking so fancy. Um, maybe that's what your project calls for. Maybe it doesn't. But what they are interested in 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 today's world, I think, and this is more just from my experience uh, rather than all the statistics and data to back it up. But I think that what people are more more interested in in, in your audience is vulnerability. I think that we have um, a culture, especially here in the States, but I think this is probably true for many parts of the world, um, especially, you know, parts of the world that are using uh, more digital video. Uh, you know, when we think about our political leaders here in the States, um, the, the, the word trust doesn't come to mind. Um, but when we think about, uh, I think there's a similarity there between that and maybe some brands, you know, um, brands are using, uh, social media quite a lot to, 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 uh, build their brand culture on, you know, by communicating more directly with their, um, with their audience. And I think that vulnerability has something to do with that. You know, like, like Sony's, uh, top level organization, their, their, their C-level of management is never going to be contacting me directly. But if they did, that would be amazing, right? (laughs) That would be incredible. And I think that there's something to be said about just that communication between, uh, the different people at a business and their audience itself. Um, so in your video work, how can you do that? I think that, uh, a little extra vulnerability and something that, you know, speaking as if you were, uh, speaking to your own, uh, friends and family, just thinking of creative ways that you can do that rather than just speaking to, uh, the features that make your brand so perfect, you know, uh, you having a great product or a great service should, should be a given. And we're going to find out as your customers, if your product or service is terrible and we will find out because we'll go on Yelp, you know, or we'll Google you and we'll find out if you have really great reviews or really terrible reviews. You know, we're not a, a, we're not uh, dumb customers, (laughs) but you also having that uh, personable uh, touch to your videos would be very, very helpful. I think. Um, And you had, uh, spoken to how not everybody has a marketing department. I think that marketing often, especially during um, economic downturns, marketing gets thrown out very quickly. Um, and we're not talking about just marketing in the sense of you know throwing out ads, but actual true marketing consulting, right? Shouldn't get uh, thrown out with the bathwater. You know, when you hire a marketing consultant who knows what uh, she or he is doing, they're going to really uh, get through those tough thought provoking questions so that you can do that homework and have a a better plan for how you're going to produce all your videos. And I think that that's one of the best things that businesses and brands can do before they start getting into a slew of many videos and realizing, you know, we've made all these videos, but they're not getting any traction. Uh, one of the things that makes us valuable if we're working directly with the business is that we ask those very tough questions in our discovery process. We're not just videographers. We're also coming in from a consulting uh, perspective and, and asking those marketing-related questions. So that being said, if if there's already uh, an agency that we can partner and collaborate with that asks those questions a lot more in depth than we do, I'm all for it, 
you know, because they really do help drive the purpose and the why behind the video that we're making. So you talk about the fact that brands should look at themselves and perhaps be more vulnerable. Do you think this period of, you know, the last four months and going in, going forward has changed the landscape? And do you think that will happen? I think that we're already seeing it happen a lot more, right? Um, I think some brands that, uh, uh, that I follow online have been pretty good about um, uh, just communicating directly with their constituency or their audience uh, on a more personal level because they'll have, you know, actual, um, you know, either regional or local representatives who engage directly with those folks. And I think that that's super important. Um, but because of COVID-19, you know, one of the funny examples that I can give is that I think every single one of us had some form of COVID hair, you know, whether that was growing out a beard or letting our hair grow out, you know, even longer than it ever has been or showing up to Zoom meetings, you know, not really actually, you know, uh, fully dressed properly, right? Maybe we, you know, kind of have that news reporter look where it's all business up top, but down below it's PJs and flip flops <laughs> or something like that. Um, and I think that that, you know, one, you had uh, the technology that everybody had to get used to very quickly. So all those folks who say, you know, I'm just not a very tech savvy person were forced to have to learn uh, things like Zoom. Um, but you also had this shared understanding that, you know, I'm not going to be able to go to the barber shop or the hairstylist, you know, for a while. So I'm just going to look the way that I do. I'm also working from home now. And so my three kids are running around and I'm pulling my hair out as it is. That has actually, I think, uh, had a very strong effect on how um, maybe in an indirect way, we're all becoming a lot more vulnerable, right? And so the same can be said about uh, brands and businesses and organizations. You don't have to appear so perfect and so polished all the time. How should I say this? Communicate more effectively from a vulnerable perspective, you know, where you actually do appear to be who you really are, which is a human being. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's probably a lot of opportunist uh, activity at the moment as well. So it's it's quite difficult to define who's coming from a, a sort of honest place and who's not, mm -hmm. I think. Sure. I mean, what we're doing is kind of making a judgment that some brands are just kind of sleazy and using it as an opportunity to take advantage. Um, but let's assume for a second that maybe we're all in that same place, you know, with, uh, especially with black lives matter here in the States, everybody's forced to respond to the murder of George Floyd, right? Everybody's forced to respond. Um, and, and not in some, you know, negative way. It's just, this is the, the top news story of the year, uh, maybe even more so than the pandemic. Right. Um, and there are going to be many different positions and perspectives on that. Some folks are going to be quick to judge, I think, on um, a person who's maybe not of color and suddenly starting to respond to this thing and saying, well, where were you, you know, four years ago when this other thing happened? It's like, you know, it's not very fair, right? Everybody um, who makes a proactive choice to respond uh, to the times um, 
could be given a little bit more grace to uh, allow them to to really start doing the hard work of of responding. Um, and so when it comes to businesses and brands using things like video to respond to the times, you know, I'm a prime example of, of, of someone who maybe hasn't always responded to everything that everyone cares about. Um, and right now I am because there's a pandemic going on or there's protests happening literally in our, you know, in our own backyard right here in Richmond, Virginia, it's the capital of the Confederacy. So of course we're having statues being pulled down and things like that. And we're trying to figure out what's our response to, to things going on here, you know, um, I would like to be shown a little more grace. So if somebody's going to call me out and say, well, you now you're responding. Well, okay. Like fair enough, but at least we're responding. <laughs> yeah. That's so, really, uh, really balanced. Yeah. Um, good point. Talking about the business of video, would you yeah. say there's a, I mean, you touched on your business and how you kind of, you know, your ethos is there, would you say there's a formula for a successful business? I don't think you can guarantee success. I don't think, you can guarantee what happens to you later today or even tomorrow, right? But what I can say is hard work, uh, which looks different for everybody. Hard work is the one of the number one things to me that will make or break a business. So what does hard work look like? Well, when you're the business owner and maybe you're you know, just starting out or you're within your first first uh, one to three years of business, um, hard work's going to look different for every season. At first, hard work is mixed with lots of passion and drive. And then that's followed by a season of this is really weighing on me. There's too much pressure. I feel like giving up. That's when you need the discipline of hard work, like the discipline, you know, without maybe the same feelings and passion, you know, uh, kind of like in any relationship, right? Like you have that sort of honeymoon phase and then eventually you just get to your day to day. So you don't have those same lovey dovey feelings for a while, but you know, the discipline is in the hard work of just committing to that relationship. Same thing with your business. At first, a lot of hard work might look like you, you could have 80 to hundred hour weeks. I don't recommend that. You know, I do recommend like a seven to eight hour workday as best that you can possibly do. Um, and in some filmmaking, that's extremely hard, right? You need like very long production days. Uh, but that's not every day. Um, so just recognize that hard work is going to look a little bit different. Keep track of how much hard work you're putting in, but make sure it is hard work. Yeah, hard work pays off in the end. Yes. Um, but you may have to stick in there for a while. Yes. This brings us to the scrub forward round, which is basically a quick fire round. If you don't want to answer, just say scrub. Okay, so quick fire. Video nasty. What's the worst habit you see people practice in filmmaking? Worst filmmaking habit that I see is too many uh, clever ideas, not one great one. Okay, VR, AR, or mixed R? Uh, VR. <laughs> VR. I love what I'm seeing in virtual production, but not so much what I'm seeing in AR. Okay. Uh, what techniques and software? Software, all of it, whatever works, you know? Um, I don't care if it's Premiere, Final Cut, DaVinci, Avid, whatever it is, you know, whatever helps, uh, use it all. Stop, pause, play, or 
play, pause, stop, whichever way um, you want to term it. One thing you always do, one thing you sometimes do, and one thing you should never do. One thing I always do, uh, joke around. One thing I sometimes do, not joke around. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I never do, uh, exploit. Um, And give us one secret filmmaking tip. It's great to be passionate about your project, but even when the passion starts to fade, stay committed to the very end. What's one great marketing tip you can give filmmakers? In anything visual, there's a general rule that we, sh- we could probably abide by, which is show, don't tell, right? So just keep showing what you're capable of and let, all, let everybody know, let as many people know as possible. Great stuff. Okay, James, so you touched on workflow efficiency. What are your kind of best tools and tips for productivity and your workflow efficiency? We have to first recognize that every single one of us is only capable of handling so much. Um, There's that popular staying in business, uh, do what you do best, write checks for the rest. Uh, So for us, for for me specifically, one of the first steps I made was to hire an accountant because I'm not doing numbers and books. Uh, never have, never will. Um, and, uh, that might be true about editors. So a lot of, uh, independent filmmakers are sort of auteurs. They handle way too many, uh, they wear way too many hats. Just know, uh, in your, in your business, how to model in such a way where you can start to hire some of those people that you really need. Um, kind of see your workload as a buffet, um, you have a plate and you're going up to the buffet line and you see all the different tasty foods that you like and you start to pile on your plate. But as you get towards the end of the line, uh, you realize you've had too much on your plate. Now it's starting to look like you need to take some things off. What are you willing to sacrifice, uh, and, and take out so that you can put new things in that are hopefully tastier and better or two quick final tips. One is, um, See what you can do for others first before what they can do for you, just as a general, you know, human-centric perspective to have in business. And uh, the second one is maybe look at your week. If if you're kind of like me, you go, you, you schedule things month to month, but you are primarily scheduling things week to week. Uh, so I always have to have a to-do list. Um, I look at things that take me two minutes, one hour, one day, or multiple days. If there's anything in my plate that requires only two minutes or less of my time, I just go ahead and get it done. So if that's, for me, that's responding to an email. That's usually a quick thing to do. I know that's not true for everybody, but I have consistently zero uh, emails in my inbox. Just something that I'm very, very fortunate and good at doing. Um, But there are things that we all have in our lives that only take like two minutes to do or maybe an hour or less. And so I sort of kind of schedule uh, things under uh, those time blocks uh, all throughout my week so that I can hopefully by the end of the week get at least 80 to 90% of my to-do list done. Wow, that's brilliant. I love the analogy of a buffet. (laughs) I'm going to use that next time I'm overloaded, I think. I don't know what (laughs) foods that I'll lose. That's the thing. Um, Brilliant. So... What's what do you think is next for filmmaking? I suppose you've touched on the vulnerability angle. You know, perhaps we'll see more of that kind of content. 
Um, have you got a sort of vision for, you know, what, what else might happen? Yeah, well, I have a, a sort of a very, very personal interest in virtual production. You know, if you're stuck in a world where, you know, half the world, world is fearful about catching COVID and half the world isn't, you're just not going to be able to move along with productions the way you, you used to. And so VR and virtual production work, um, and, and, you know, I'm kind of an idiot when it comes to this stuff. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I've seen it and I like it. So if that's VR and AR mixed together, whatever that's supposed to look like, I love it and I'm all for it. So what's next for you and Journey 7? I, You know, I think that we're still um, figuring out where our legs are, uh, where our feet are going to be planted uh, inside and coming out of the pandemic, you know begin researching uh, virtual production as a possibility that we can have in the near future. Um, become better at what we already do by doing tests, running tests. Um, and hopefully start working on some more uh, narrative and short film work. Uh, for me right now, one of the things that's kind of driving my creativity is to look into virtual production more so that those ideas I once had that I thought were unachievable can now actually possibly come into fruition. That sounds exciting. Well, it's been brilliant talking to you, James. It's really great insight into into what you're up to. Um, and congratulations on, you know, forming a, a successful business um, in a really important area that needs to, you know, that there needs there need to be more production companies who are looking at doing the good work um, consistently. If I could leave one more tip, and I think this is a really good one, um, when it comes to community work, right? Something that either locally or regionally that you, um, like, you know, you want to be able to give back in some way. We have this incredible gift as uh, filmmakers, right? Using visual moving images. Um, and if we have any care in the world for the community around us, you know, technically we can get involved in just about every social issue or every issue facing people, you know, around us. My thought is that perhaps instead of trying to do several different things all at once or throughout the year, maybe just year to year, uh, for six to 12 months, focus on one organization or one particular movement, something like that, and stay committed to them for a time. Um, that way you can be a lot more focused. You can get to know that uh, issue a lot more closely and deeply, and you can probably do a lot more effective work, right? So especially if it's going to be out of charity, um, you know, for us, it's uh, right now we've latched on to an organization that deals with the conversation around black-white racism. So rather than just wanting to film the protest and put this cool looking video out there and, you know, hopefully, you know, gain some views and whatever, we decided, well, it's probably better to partner with an organization that is constantly doing this day in and day out and help the, their videos be more effective. And we'll do that for as long as we decide to until we're ready to move on to something else. Strong advice, I think, for anyone out there looking to do a similar thing, helping community organizations get their voice heard out there. Um, yeah. So how do people connect with you? 
Sure. So uh, probably the best way to connect with me is uh, through, uh, I love when people message me on Instagram. It's a pretty easy place for me to uh, keep that communication in its own place, uh, which is James Lee underscore films. And then uh, uh, at uh, journey seven, uh, seven is spelled out S E V E N. Um, if they want to contact me another way, they can email. Uh, so that's James at journey seven media.com. And everybody's already heard that I'm really good about responding to emails. So I guess the pressure's on me if people do contact me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you heard it here first. Um, you've just had instruction to definitely send him an email, fill up that <laughs> inbox. So all those addresses and links will be on the show notes page uh, when the when this episode goes live. So yeah, thanks again, James. It's been brilliant. Um, and wish you best of luck with everything going forward. Um, and oh. we'll be looking out at you know what's coming next. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Cheers. Well, huge thanks goes to my guest for episode 11, James Lee. You can find all the show notes and all the links and things that we talked about, all the lighting, the cameras, etc., um, and examples of his work on videotalks.co forward slash 11. And if you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe. Um, really appreciate it. Maybe a rating and review if possible. And we can keep you updated with new episodes and interviews. There'll be loads more value in the next episodes coming up in the next few weeks. So be sure to keep in touch with us. Uh, you can connect and follow us on Instagram at Video Talks Podcast and Andy.Greenhouse. Be brilliant to see you there. And we'll be sharing work from creators, filmmakers, animators in the future on our feed. We've only just started it, but uh, we are growing. So yeah, just hashtag Video Talks Podcast and perhaps we can post your work. So it only leaves me to say thanks again for listening. Really appreciate your company. It would be great to see you back here next week for another episode of Video Talks. But until then, take it easy. Cheers. Cheers.